Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word. We're going to continue a practice that we started just at the beginning of this year, which is kind of before jumping into the sermon, getting into a, uh, a prayer that we do based off of the Lord's Prayer. And so many of us are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus kind of instructed to his disciples. This is basically where we take it line by line, and then we add our own kind of like context, our own voice into it. Andy and I have kind of just been playing around with this And uh, so please, please join me uh, as we pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, we praise you as both our King, but also our loving Father. We praise you because you are worthy of all praise and all honor. May your name be extolled and lifted high. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray continually for the coming of your kingdom. We pray for the goodness of the gospel to be lifted up in our city. We pray for the healing of the sick in our church, including our sick family members and loved ones. We pray for your kindness and presence with us as your will is unfolding around us. Father, we pray for your hand over the table, church. We pray you would secure their hearts and minds, and may their community be a beautiful stronghold of the gospel. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, we pray that through this day we would not go without, but you would provide for us with the things that we need. We also pray that we would listen to Jesus as he encourages us to not dwell any more than we need to on these things, but to trust that our Father who loves us will take care of us and provide for us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we come to you as imperfect, as full of flaws in our own struggles. We trust in Jesus that you have forgiven us of our sins and, that, and may that awareness of forgiveness give us hope and give us strength and not indifference. Help us to confess our sins to you and to those that we wrong, not for shame, but for love. May you fill us with the same love you have for us, that we may share it with others through forgiveness and grace. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Please be our protection in a world of thorns and evils and dangers. Please be our shield and cover us under the protection of your wings. Protect us from the evils of the world and similarly protect us from the evils in our own hearts as you continue the work of the Spirit in each of us. We pray for your mercy and we hope for the time when all things will be made new. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Ah, well, guys, I, I already expressed this to you. Um, this may be a sermon where we get a lot of me speaking in my notes and then kind of pulling off and, and just kind of riffing and doing my own thing because just kind of where I am with this sermon. Uh, as I said, this was probably the most, actually, it was 
absolutely the most difficult sermon that I've had to write. Uh, traditionally, the format of, of writing a sermon is you get a couple of verses, you get to do some research, kind of read like, oh, where, what's, what's the author saying in these verses? You know, what's the context? Who's writing this? Who's he writing it to? You know, you kind of get to do some investigative work. And then, you know, you're kind of unpacking the meaning through that. Uh, this was not that. This was just write a sermon about uh, the probably most profound concept in maybe Western civilization, maybe just the whole world, which is God. And also the Trinity, because let's throw that in there too. So this was a difficult sermon for me to write, uh, but it's also the necessary sermon for kind of where we're at. If you guys joined us for last week, Andy uh, preached through the significance of Scripture. And it's necessary that the next step would have to be God, because Scripture it kind of lays out a, a framework or even a lens for us to see the world that is around us. Scripture shows the world to be, uh, in many ways, just like we are, to be very beautiful, but also troubling in many ways. And so Scripture lays out this way that we can view creation, view the world around us, view our societies and civilizations, and yet it leaves us with a very clear problem. But at the height of Scripture, it tells us about one key figure, and that figure is God. And so how do we talk about God? Well, I, I need to say right now that this can't be an exhaustive sermon about God. There's probably going to be things that after the sermon's over, you could say, well, John, you completely neglected to talk about this, and you would most likely be right. I can't preach about the, the wholeness of God in uh, 30 minutes, 45, 60 minutes. Like, it's, it's just not really possible. And in a lot of ways, I kind of feel like teaching about God to a church is almost like teaching addition to a, a classroom full of lifelong mathematicians. It's just like, you know, this is where we started. This is the basics. How do I teach something so basic again for the first time. It has to have some big, profound, fresh insight, I guess. And maybe that's where I got so hung up on this sermon. Maybe this isn't going to be as insightful as it ought to be. And if that's something that is worthy of casting stones, then I'll accept the stones later. But maybe this is just the basics that we needed to hear. Maybe not for the first time, maybe not for the hundredth time, but maybe right now what you guys need is for the hundred and first time to be told something beautiful about the God that we serve. So that's my hope. I'm going to talk briefly about the Trinity because I didn't dwell a ton on the nuance of the Trinity for this sermon because honestly, once you get past the basics, it just gets really complicated. The Trinity, as we understand it, the, the basic Christian understanding of the Trinity is three persons united under one unified essence, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the Father as often the source and creator of all things in creation. We see the Son as the perfect image of the Father, and then we see the Spirit as often the working out and the power of God. And then if I go any deeper, <laughs> is where it starts to get really complex and really complicated. One thing I do want to say just to that is 
if we truly believe in the Christian idea of the Trinity, we kind of have to start throwing out all of these things. Because I, I feel like people don't do this consciously, but maybe unconsciously. We have this sense of like, oh yeah, well, when I pray, I only pray to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that I connect to. The Father kind of seems like the mean one, and the Spirit is like the, you know, the real elusive one who nobody really knows. Like, that, I, I, like we can stop doing that. That's kind of weird. We don't have to do that. Like, we can unite all three of them together. We can say that the Father is not more stern than the Son. They're both equally gracious. That the Son is not like the cool mom who, like, lets the kid have the Capri Sun when the dad says no. Like, no. Like, we can, we can let all three persons, like, sit in unity and harmony because that's what they are. They're not in conflict with each other. So we don't have to have favorite persons of the Trinity. That's weird. Don't do that. So, the Trinity is a core belief of Christianity. And even though it's really complex, I would, I would say, you know, especially in this age of like unpacking and repacking our faith and beliefs and, and understanding of faith, I would say, let's not touch the Trinity. Like, it's a, very, it's a very cornerstone belief of our faith. And oftentimes, a lot of weird offshoots of Christianity that end up throwing a lot of the principles of Christianity in the garbage, the first thing they tend to do is start to knock heads with the Trinity. So I would say, you know, unpack, rethink, do your thing, but maybe, maybe leave the Trinity alone. That's a really important thing. A lot, of people, a lot of people burned at the stake for the Trinity back in the day, you know. So now we're just back at God. And this is the question that I wrestled with for the past week. How do we, how do we explain God? I'm actually going to leave you in suspense for a few more seconds as I rehydrate. A lot of people would use terms like omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. You know, all these, these big Augustinian terms of like, this is what it means to be God, to have acquired all of these adjectives that I learned in college. It's kind of strange. I actually don't think I'm going to go in that direction with us. Mostly because I want to let God speak for himself. And we just had 63 minutes of great sermoning from Andy last week about scripture. It'd be kind of ridiculous to leave scripture out of this when we ask ourselves who God is. So I guess let's start there. Uh, here's my first point. And my points aren't really points. They're really just very basic statements. Uh, these would be really easy sentences to teach someone who was just learning English. Uh, first point, God is holy and good. God is holy and good. There are scenes in the Bible that when I think about them, I think even with uh, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, film studios are pumping into like CGI and like producing uh, uh, just like the, the most stunning visuals possible. There's still scenes that I look at in the Bible and I'm like, I'm not actually sure I could imagine seeing that like in front of me. 
Like there are scenes like 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 the first chapter of Ezekiel. Just just you know, just read through it whenever you're curious. It's got Ezekiel having this vision of God, and there's these massive wheels, but there's also these creatures with different faces and heads, and and there's fire and there's light, and you're reading it and you're like, I'm not even sure the guy who's writing this knows what's happening because I definitely have no idea what's happening here. And then you've got chapters at the end of Daniel that kind of do the same. You've got chapters all over Revelation that do the same. And I think that what it's all pointing to is this idea that God is holy. Now, for God to be holy, that doesn't mean we, we, t- we tend to use that term interchangeably with like he's, he's, he's good or he's pure, he's clean. And it does mean that he is those things. But to be holy actually means to be like separate, and removed. Like to be holy means to be kind of different from any created thing. It means to be uncommon in the, in the highest degree. That God is not a created thing, that God stands above it all, sitting on a throne, and in that throne he's covered with majesty and glory. And in that majesty and glory, he actually provokes fear Like people who have these visions of God in the Bible are usually kind of terrified by it. And it's amazing. The response that God has to them is like comfort. He usually says, don't don't be afraid. Hmm. I think that for me personally, there's a level of comfort in serving a God who was lifted so high above my humanly capacities I'm a, I'm a horrible overthinker. I frequently get this term that I love that just feels like it understands me called like analysis paralysis, where you just overthink about something so thoroughly that you actually don't know how to form a conclusion or form an action plan based on all that thought. So for me to think that God is actually above my understanding makes me feel a greater appreciation for him. Because I'm like, if there's something to like just kind of pack up and like microscope about God, then that just makes it strenuous. It just makes it so difficult. But for him to actually be so high above humanity that he just exists in a way that doesn't, that can't provoke the same type of meticulous research that we would have when we looked at something in a science lab. It actually kind of encourages me. You get this sense that like, we're not supposed to dig that deep into who God is. At least not to the point to where we've made him something common. And I think the comfort is that God is really good. God is really kind. God is full of mercy. He loves the world that he created, even as he mourns the state of sin and and evil that covers it. God has created good things. We see in the Genesis story that when God is kind of like peering over the world and he's making things like night and day and he's making the waters, he's making the mountains, he's making the birds and the fish. He looks over all these things and he sees that they are good. And they're good because they've come from a good creator. Like it's almost like little bits of himself have been formed into all these things that he's created and they've retained the goodness of a good God. 
And that encourages me because all of humanity can now connect with the things that are good. If you ever want to have a conversation with someone about God, you can often just point them to the things that they find good in their lives. I had a friend who was talking about how he was, uh, he was going to a new barber and he wanted to have a conversation to kind of connect them to the gospel in some way. And he asked the person, like, what would a perfect world for you look like? Like, what, what is a perfect world in your mind? And the barber kind of, you know, he thinks for a second and he talks about like, a perfect world would be one that's really kind to animals. This guy had a lot of love for, for animals and, you know, is probably a vegetarian or a vegan. And so he's talking about how a perfect world to him is one where animals and nature and like the environment are valued. And he could kind of, in that conversation, kind of connect to him this idea that like God himself has tremendous love for the animals in the world. And, and that God, God loves the oceans and the skies and the stars and all these things because these things are also good. And so when we see God's goodness, it gives us a deep connection to him on just kind of this existential level where we can see things that are good and connect them to God. It also means that when we experience good things in life, we can just associate that with someone who the Bible calls the giver of all good and perfect gifts. When I, you know, take a look at my gas tank and I think that it's on E, but it's actually half full, I can say, thank you, God. Like giver of good and perfect gifts, right? Like little simple things like that. What's my next point? Hold on. The next point is that God knows us. It's interesting that we can speak on the holiness of God, and yet throughout the history and the stories of the Bible, we see a God who is persistently aware of his people. And I think we can see that the best in Jesus. There's something about the stories when Jesus weeps that are just so, just make me feel such a strong connection with him. Jesus has a friend who dies and his friends are upset about him dying. The story of Lazarus causes Jesus to weep. Jesus sees the, the disbelief of all these people that he loves and he cares for, and Jesus weeps. And later on in the book of Hebrews, it says that we do not have a God who was unable to sympathize with us. I don't know about you guys. I told you that I had a, I had a struggle with this sermon this week. I don't know what it was, but I had over me uh, this, this profound sense of fear this week. Just like unshakable, just, just monstrous, you know? And I, I, I really just kind of wondered what purpose this was serving as it was just this, this thing that was kind of just sitting on my shoulders, very square, and in a way that I couldn't shake. And I thought to myself, like, this Sunday, we're sending out the table. I know that 
this is a fearful thing for a lot of us. Like that some of us are, are the ones being sent and it's a beautiful thing, but there's still trepidation there. And I know that some of us are watching the sending happen and that can be a, a fearful thing too, losing like a proximity with people that you love and you care about. And I thought, God, maybe this fear is on me because I need to connect that God understands that God has experienced fear in a way that he knows. God's not like foreign to it. A God who's like so holy would actually be really profoundly foreign to something human like fear. But God can somehow, you know, perform this, this mystical juggling act of being profound and full of majesty, but also close enough to his creation that when someone is afraid, he can say, I understand. And I think that's a beautiful thing. God is also with us. It's a common theme that we see from the very beginning of the Old Testament all the way through the New is that when God created Adam and Eve, he would walk the garden with them. When God delivered Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery, he, he dwelt with them in this big tent. Then eventually there was the temple and then eventually there was Jesus. But God is always trying to be where his people are. To be so kingly and to be so majestic and yet to long so much to be with his creation is a beautiful thing. And so, you know, I gave you guys a handful of adjectives about God. I told you that God is good. Wow, really novel. Like, wow. I told you about the holiness of God, that God knows us, that God is with us. And, you know, these are all good things. But, but here's the thing, and I, and I realized this very last minute, and I think I, I connected this with why this sermon was such a bear for me to write was because God actually isn't meant to be studied like a textbook. The way for us to understand God was never to, to, to write down a list of his attributes and think, hmm, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. It's like, imagine going to the zoo for the first time after all you'd done was read descriptions of what grizzly bears looked like. And then you saw one in person for the first time. Those are two completely different experiences. We all know our pal, Andy, you know. If someone who had never met Andy Littleton in their lives said, John, uh, explain to me Andy. I would say, ah, oh, you know, uh, 6162, um, beard, usually wearing a ball cap, big fan of flannel. Uh, you'll often find him thrifting, um, baseball fan, pretty good at basketball, you know, like all those, and like, and like people who know Andy are like, yeah, yeah, those things are true. Those things are true. But like, if you didn't know who Andy was and all I gave you was this list, you're not looking at that and saying, I think I really know Andy now. But when you'll know Andy is when you're going on a walk on the, around the neighborhood with Andy when Andy is looking at all these old trucks from the 1960s and talking about how if he had the time, he could totally put this thing back in working order. 
when Andy is like maybe peeking into like a half open like garbage can and thinking, you know, I could probably do a couple things with some stuff in here. Like those are the kinds of things that happen when you really actually get to know Andy. Because that's like to experience Andy and to spend time with him and to actually enjoy who he is. And I, and I think it's the same thing with God. Like this same relational element applies to God. And I, I remember I had a conversation with a friend who was asking me a bunch of questions. And so, you know, we would have meeting after meeting and for hours she would just ask me questions about, about God and about theology. And she'd say, oh, well, how does God work with evil? How does God work with sin? Uh, what does God, you know, say about this, say about that? And I'm just like, look, like at a certain point to understand God, like to know God, you can't just keep peering from the outside, you actually have to take his word, like what he says about himself, and then you have to walk into that. And it's not complicated. It could be as simple as just reading something about God and praying it out loud. Or just like trying to have your first ever conversation praying to God. But you, there, there's only so much you can really understand about God when you're peering in from the outside. What God wants is not for people to look at him like an exhibit in a zoo and go, wow, wow, really interesting stuff. That's so cool. God actually wants to be experienced. God actually wants to be walked with just as he has promised to walk with us. Conversations about God are super cool, but sometimes to have that experience, you just got to jump into it. It can be difficult, it can be stressful, but I think that is the invitation there. And, you know, for some of us, we're thinking, yeah, John, I know that. Like, I'm already a Christian. I've been a Christian for a long time. But maybe I'm, I'm dealing with X, you know? Maybe I'm standing at a fork in the road and I'm not sure what my next decision should be. Maybe I'm just dealing with a great amount of stress because I know what road I have to go on, but it's just taxing, and it's got me nervous and stressed out. I would say, I think that this same act of walking with God into the things that we are experiencing just has to be done, and then to be redone again, and then to be redone again. This constant act of opening ourselves up completely vulnerably and walking with God into the lives that we're currently living, I think that's what it takes to persevere through difficult times. Because the promise that we have is the promise from God. The promise that he gave to Israel in Exodus, he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And then the promise that Jesus even gave to his disciples, behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. The presence of God is like, honestly, the greatest hope and the greatest gift that we have as believers. We can give ourselves laws and ideals and values to follow each day of our lives. We can 
We can give ourselves commandments to follow. We can say, this is the kind of person that I want to be. We can give ourselves all of these responsibilities, all these ladders to climb, all these ropes to climb in life. But at the end of the day, like the creator of the universe is offering to walk us, walk with us into the life that we are currently living. He's offering to help us with the struggles that we're dealing with. He's offering to cleanse us of the, tr- of the troubles that we have, not just currently, but the ones from the past that still affect us to this day. He's offering to make us new, but he can't do that from a distance. So I would encourage all of us, just as, just as I'm encouraging my own self, to uh, take that step. Take that step towards the Father, towards the Son. Because we are all gifted with the Holy Spirit. And it is giving us all of the strength and all of the courage that we need to press forward. One way in which we have an opportunity to do that is through the Lord's Supper, which is a gift that we have every week, every time that we come together to worship. We get to experience like this kind of connection, this like glimpse of the future feasting with Jesus, just in this. And in this, we're remembering like the great climax, the great high points of what Christ has given us, which was his own self when he offered his life for ours, when he offered to stand in the place for, uh, for all of our wrongs. And so... Now what we're going to do is we're going to have some time for confession. Just some time, I would say, just to respond to God. Respond to whatever you may be thinking about, whatever may have come up during this time. I'll, I'll lead us into it. We'll have a couple of minutes for silence. And then uh, we'll have, we invite anyone to come up to here. We, we would encourage like, believers to do it. We do think this is something for, for professing Christians. Uh, but if you're not a professing Christian, but you'd like to talk about that, you know, let's talk after service. That'd be great. And then we also offer, um, we also plan to worship through uh, singing, which Mike will lead us in later. And also there's uh, giving in the back. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm uh, grateful for just your kindness over me, Father. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for um, walking with me in my life. And being the voice and the courage and the strength when honestly I I sometimes struggle to find my own. Thank you for the promise that you have, not just for me, but for all who call out your name, that you will not leave them alone and that you will not let them be put to shame. Please help us, Father. Our troubles are varied, but your faithfulness is not. May you please help us, Lord. Um. I pray that you would help us just to respond to you right now, not just with confession, but also with the hope and encouragement of forgiveness. I pray that we would feel that forgiveness, Lord, that you offer us. So may we confess to you now. May we confess to you vulnerably. And may we feel the joy of forgiveness in response.